Welcome to this special episode of the Hive Live podcast as we take an introspective look at influencing entrepreneurs, a video and teaching series by our good friend Cass Ward that Spiracle had the opportunity to capture. As we dive into this episode, we'll visit a few of the key points from Cass's interview with you, Joe, and John Gaither of Features. I'm Jared Latch alongside Tim Bear and Cass Ward as we debrief on episode 108 of Influencing Entrepreneurs. And during this episode, we'll work through the following topics. Sales channels versus distribution channel, early startup, leadership roles, adapting to economic and market disruption, and we'll touch on company culture. So starting off, who do you want to sell to when you start a company in the case of features, Cass? So starting the company is they knew right off the bat they were going into the hosiery industry and especially with their background they wanted to go into a performance running sock they identified the product immediately this is a huge decision point for any company with a new product so do you just want to be a manufacturer of the sock and have somebody else sell it so therefore you sell the the sock and the proprietary proprietary that's um, a fun word. I know. You say that. Can uh, you say it three times in a row? Proprietary <laughs> product and have somebody else brand it, or do you actually want to go direct to sales? Now, I'll be honest. The easy thing is to go out and say, hey, we make a great sock. Let's sell it to Hanes. Let's sell it to Nike and everywhere. But they said, no, we believe in this product. We want to sell direct to the, to the customer, and we want to be the premium consumer brand. And he's very... Uh, explicit about that that we want to make sure that we sell to the runner the the high performance running in, um, industry I decided this time we were going to be a brand and that's what we're going to be so rather defining ourselves as a hosiery manufacturer or even a sock manufacturer we were going to be a consumer brand and to have a consumer brand you certainly need a product that has points of differentiation but you also need a name and so uh, over the five or six months that I was working to develop uh, the, the initial product, uh, and we did end up going to Asia because the, the domestic manufacturing base was uh, shrinking at the time, and I did want one product point of differentiation, which at the time I zeroed in on what we call a seamless toe, and simply that wasn't available in the United States. Anyway, as the product started to emerge, this was in the fall of 2001. I'd been working on the product and the business plan for months. Our three older kids, including John, were all away in college. And so Joseph, who at the time was 15, was the only person at home and came in from a run one night into our kitchen at home in Newton and uh, said, you know, to my wife and uh, Joe, who were getting ready to have dinner there that night, at some point we're gonna need a name for this brand, for this brand that we're gonna introduce into the marketplace. And probably it would be good if the name somehow conveyed the features and the benefits of the product that we're, uh, that we're proposing to introduce. And, and Joe, who was doing his homework at the kitchen table without looking up, continuing to write, just said features, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. And with that, it was kind of like a light bulb went off and said, mm, wow. Going in with building that brand, they identify it quickly that, okay, while... They would love to be sold in Dick's Sporting Goods. They'd love to be sold in Academy. They want to go after their market, and they really identify their clients. So number one is we talked in a previous episode about 
uh, big M, or capital M marketing with Deona Kid. They're great at identifying the capital M marketing and going into little M marketing and saying, we're going to every run for your life. We are going to every specialty shop that focuses on running and selling directly. And not only are we going to sell directly to the retailers, we're going to continue to promote this brand to the runners themselves and to the users. So they want people to wear their pro their products and their name proudly. What comes to mind there is that's sort of an organic or grassroots effort in my mind from a sales perspective because you're, you're planting seeds along the way. You're going to get the runners talking about it. Eventually, you're going to get the bigger guys calling and saying, all right, let's roll this into our stores as well. Yeah, I just have a problem with you, Joe and John, that I seem to always mismatch my feature socks. I don't know what that's about. They're like my most expensive socks in my drawer, and I never seem to have two of the same one. So I just had to put that out there because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hoping they're listening, so maybe they'll send me some. I thought you meant uh, <laughs> which foot. I was going to say they're marked no, they're right marked, and left. They are marked right so and left. So that would be a so problem. I sometimes have two rights, and <laughs> then I'm like, oh, I can't match these together. And it just it, it becomes a problem. So. That is a complete user error. But they've really <laughs> even gone into to that where um, – the way they develop their product is they, they offer such a wide array. And I actually, I would have told you a year or two ago that I was nowhere near being a, the, their ideal customer. And as I mentioned in the episode that I tried on one pair and was sold immediately. So um, with that, they have a variety that I actually had to go out. And when I replaced my entire sock drawer, uh, had to get, uh, okay, I got... Two blues, two greens, two whites. I couldn't get, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't want to mix match. Right. Is that a thing, replacing the whole sock drawer? Do you guys do that often? I do not. I normally don't, but when I found their socks, I got rid of all of my, you know, six Your pair for a dollar. Cotton ones. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. It sounds, though, that they need to add a sorting system. Yeah. into the mix that well, you maybe, can, you can maybe purchase a as well. chip, like the tile. Yeah. They could embed that into the sock, and then it'll find me. You'll find your match. Yeah, exactly. But here, so here's what's funny. We talk about how they want to build this consumer brand, and we've got like five things to talk about this one product, and it's just a sock. <laughs> I mean, so they really are successful at saying, look at these five things. How excited are you about it? And we're excited about socks. And also, Tim, I mean, if you come up with a chip in the sock, you might have to take that to Lewis Foreman. Adventist. Yeah, see if you can, true. you could be the inventor yeah. on that. Everybody on that listening product. out there, you did not hear me. Yeah, well, we might have to edit that later. <laughs> yeah. So, what challenges then? Once you get things rolling, and I know how they brought the different uh, sons of the owner in to to play different roles, but what kind of challenges did it then present to the leadership team as they were growing? So, startup is always great. And we do not talk about it enough in the entrepreneurial world. Um, I've had this conversation with you. I can't stand these entrepreneurship videos, classes, books that are people driving up to mansions and Lamborghinis and saying, now I'm my own boss and things are the greatest ever. Um, it's very unrealistic and it's very manipulative in my mind. But they're, uh, true entrepreneurs such as the Gaither family are very honest. It was very scary. It was two of them in the office. Very early on, it was Hugh and the, the daughter worked um, at the front desk. Um, as John came in, he started to work with sales as well. And all they did was make cold calls, which is, it's, it's hard. It's a lonely world to make cold calls. And it's, there's only so many people you can call at one time. So there's a lot of downtime. 
we don't talk about in entrepreneurship the fact that sometimes we're just sitting at a desk looking at the phone waiting for it to ring back at some point he even tells a good story and it's it's funny because as stressful it is as it is we love we we have really good times in those so he he talks about how on a slow friday they started making prank phone calls to friends and family and <laughs> that's that's the real story of the early startup and it was a grassroots organic sale to become a, a consumer brand it takes a long time they're they're they've been successful the fact that they're in in their 16th going into their 17th year but all that groundwork started with those shenanigans yeah i mean you bring that up 16 years first of all i didn't know about features that much i'd heard of them before you had started to bring them into the, for the episode but had not heard about them 15 years ago and um so i guess that brings us to that next question of after 16 years how does a business evolve as they grew the of course the leadership grew they brought in operations people but and actually they ended up bringing in um their youngest son and they shared the story of how he actually came up with the name while doing his high school homework and and joe came in and so i've actually spent some time and did some work with with features back in 2018 they're a family-owned company family run they do have other um, members on their leadership team outside of the family but it is a great dynamic. They, uh, they're all very much alike and also very good at staying in their own lane. Let me jump in and make one comment about, about both of their roles in the business. Joe came in in 2009 when, of course, we had started to, the brand had started to kind of come together and crystallize, and that was just before the Features Elite product was introduced. John was there at the very beginning when it was still sort of formulating and one of the things that I realized, and I think this is important in any small business, is that it's kind of important the kind of chemistry that you have and the uh, relative strengths that each person has. And fortunately for us, J Joe and John both bring different kinds of perspectives and strengths to our business and our brand. And I realized that early on with John, even though as a father, one might expect that I, I would have known this, but John has a, a more thoughtful, careful way of approaching things compared to me, who's I'm a more shoot from the hip, react really quickly. And it turns out that's a good combination because early on John was willing to question me about things when it would have been easy for him just to be quiet and do whatever I said because he came from Davidson also with a history degree. John started in sales, but is a very analytical, very process-driven person, and naturally graduated to that product development to where he could spend time on all of those different pieces. As Joe came in, he started out in sales, but really quickly was in touch with what are the sales mediums going forward. And we spend a lot of time going through how the whole focus of the company now while they're selling in stores is to sell online. And this was brand new to Hugh. Hugh was used to knocking on doors, shaking hands, building relationships over time. And he had a huge buy-in and very uncomfortable um, growing uh, experience to figure out, well, this is how things are different. And had the faith to say, Joe, you handle this and let's let's see how we can explore and building an e-commerce site 
actually started out knocking on doors as well, which was a great way to sort of build my knowledge of the product, our customers, and even consumers that we sell to. And um, so I, I started out driving around to all these run specialty stores in a car, um, knocking on their door, not necessarily making cold calls for sales purposes, but talking to our the customers we had opened up and before I started and hearing from them what they thought about the product and um, the market opportunities and our competition and learning about their business and how we could be a partner for them and so and and eventually I started going to events as well selling directly to consumers at expos marathon expos and events where we could talk to consumers and get feedback from them and so that was all really helpful to for me to really have I and mean, I did that for years for two years at least so when you look at at this type of, of company and we know culture is is critical why is it so important in, in this scenario and a branding company well so they talk about their lifetime guarantee um, I've, I've you know having spent time within the company they have a whole department that is there to answer questions almost around the clock about their socks. And I even going in and seeing this, my first question was, who needs 24 hour assistance with their socks? Um, not everybody, but it's nice to know after you, you have a pair that if there was ever an issue, they're there. They are, they definitely deliver on their, their brand. So on top of that, their entire company is bought into their culture and their product to um, the quality of the product, the purpose of the product, what the product stands for. And we, we've mentioned in previous episodes about where company culture plays a, an important role. In marketing, it is so key to your, your employees all have to be brand ambassadors as well. If your employees are just there to pay, you know, if they haven't bought into the product, they bought into their paycheck, then you are very, you are poor in communicating your message and your brand. When you look at this scenario with features and you can say that you instill culture right away and, and that's your optimal spot, but this is a company that evolved with who was involved in moving it forward. So do you think that they might have evolved with culture in some ways? They definitely did because as, as much as they're very similar, the, the, the family members, Hugh, Joe, and John, they're also night and day. And, and being a part of their company and see how they interact, they're very respectful, but they, they, they fight like family. <laughs> they, they have disagreements. They come back together at the end. And it's a, it's in a very great environment for learning and for for discovery. So yeah, we're going to disagree. We're going to battle it out in the boardroom a little bit, but at the end of the day, we're going to walk away with a better understanding and a path to move forward. One thing before we close this one out, I want to poke both of you guys on is you talk about the early challenges, all the cold calls they had to make when you're in that startup phase. Do you guys have any recommendations in terms of mindset and approach for someone that's in that phase that can seem extremely painful and they're sort of looking at the light at the end of the tunnel, something that really keeps them going. I mean, there's a lot of days that there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel, which is the harder part. Um, you know, I don't know that we never necessarily ever felt the 
the cold calling side of the of the play. I mean, everything that we've done has been relationship based, and I think that's how businesses grow. I think um, cold calling is still a thing that is done today, and uh, for Davis Conway with us, he has to do that sometimes for uh, as we continue to grow with Spiracle. But I think that a lot of uh, growth now is all relationship based, and so you have to sometimes triangulate. Uh, what those relationships are. So maybe there is some person that is very important for you to meet, and maybe you're two degrees, you know, you'd play your Kevin Bacon game Mm -hmm. and find how you're connected to that person. LinkedIn is invaluable in that situation. Now, what I will say is I've had a number of people tell me they go on LinkedIn, they send a message, and they don't hear back, and so they're like, guess they didn't want to talk to me. And it's like, well, first of all, everybody doesn't check their LinkedIn. Second of all, if your only effort is going to be one LinkedIn message, then that says a lot about your effort. Um, and so I think you need to find different ways to, to communicate and connect with people. And with that, that's very, very important. And I also, the, the other recommendation is patience, which is, is inevitable, and a thirst for knowledge. Because Tim can attest to this, for every seed he plants today, for every contact he makes today, it may be anywhere from three months to a year before that actually yields anything. So where if you don't have patience and you don't have foresight, you start saying, well, I'll just make more calls. I'll have more meetings. I'll do this. And you start spinning your wheels. You burn out real quick and you actually get less accomplished. And I think also you have to be a perfecter of process in a way to, to continually evaluate your own approach and see what works and, and see how people are responding. And we know that the way that people communicate changes and there's even subtleties there. So I think it's always reevaluating, and that's what you do from a business standpoint constantly is that reevaluation. So that'll do it for this episode. Make sure to watch the full video episode of Cass's interview with the Gaither family by visiting influencingentrepreneurs.com. You can find out more about Spiracle Media by visiting spiraclemedia.com. For Tim Bear and Cass Ward, I'm Jared Latch. We appreciate you joining us.